0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Phil. And I'm Honey. This week, we are going to be talking about astral projection. Yay! But before we get into that, I'm going to have Hanny do our What Happened on This Day. So Hanny, go ahead.
1: So we are recording on the 8th of November. Um, on the 8th of November in 1895, which was 126 years ago, Wilhelm Röntgen first observed X-rays during an experiment at Wurzburg University. After further investigation, on the 1st of January 1896, he notified other scientists of his discovery of this new radiation that would become known as X-rays. He sent copies of his manuscript and some of his X-ray photographs to several renowned physicists and in friends, including Lord Kelvin in Glasgow and in Paris. On the 5th of January 1896, de Presse, Published the news in a front page article which describes investigations and suggested new methods of medical diagnosis might be made with this new kind of radiation. Little did they know of how much of an impact it would have today.
0: Okay, let's start out with our favorite question that we start every episode with, which is what is astral production? First off, I think
2: as usual, I feel like this is very common with us. I think it's very hard to define astral projection, but astral projection in particular, specifically defining what counts as astral projection. I've seen many people claim that it's been around, quote unquote, for centuries, citing everything from medieval mystics to indigenous shamans to ancient Greece and many other things. But the term astral projection is only as old as theosophy. For a more in-depth look at theosophy, I believe we talked about that in our spiritualism episode. Many people seem to define astral projection as any kind of altered state of consciousness, usually accompanying some sort of journeying. And by journeying, I mean a non-physical form of travel. This kind of journeying is seen cross-culturally. The Pythagoreans who practice soul projection. I believe the Norse had what was called flighting. And then there's many other kinds of actual indigenous shamanistic traditions seen in terms of journeying. But I don't know if that counts as astral projection. I think determining what counts as astral projection and what is just trance, what is journeying, and what is just an altered state of consciousness is, is really hard to define. You know, are dreams astral projection? I think that's a, a complicated area. What are your guys' thoughts on what counts as astral projection?
1: I also came across many different definitions, but a lot of the ones which explicitly referred to astral projection had this idea of there being planes which are kind of above ours, so celestial planes, and that's kind of where the name astral comes from. But that being said, yeah, there's loads of subtly different experiences. Some people are kind of referring just to any kind of -of out-of-body experiences. Some people refer to the astral plane as like one singular real physical realm, whereas others consider it to be kind of more within your imagination. And then in Kabbalah, there's also the kind of astral body journeying along the Sephiroth. So a lot of these journeying-type experiences could fall within that remit, but I think they're actually quite different. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I kind of see two different categories of astral projection. One is definitely more ceremonial in nature, which is like what you mentioned, Hannah, about the journeying with the Sephiroth in Kabbalah, and then even just in like ceremonial magic and like the chaldean philosophies right we have these like levels you have the celestial realm which is ruled by the spheres and the archangels and that's considered like the astral realm but aside from the ceremonial perspective i think then we also have the theosophy and new age definition of astral which seems to be this like one singular plane of existence where you can go and have like a separate life that holds some correlation to the life that you have on earth but there's some kind of like there can be some differences and you might have abilities there that you don't have here because it's your soul projecting right not your physical body so i think there's two camps whichever one we're talking about, that definition, it's important to kind of distinguish which one we're referring to. I think for this episode, we're probably mostly going to be talking about the New Age and Theosophy version of astral projection, but we might also touch upon the ceremonial or Kabbalistic astral body thought too. So just keep in mind, there's kind of two different boats there that use the same terminology for seemingly different things.
2: I would also say that in the New Age sphere, at least more recently, that I have seen like the past decade, this could also be before, but honestly, trying to research the history of astral projection is really hard because you end up on a bunch of weird websites. And I'm like, no, I want the like anthropological study (laughs) of astral projection, but it's really hard to find. I actually see a lot of it's not just one plane. People will talk about astral projecting to hell, astral projecting to Mount Olympus, astral projecting into someone's bedroom. I was listening to someone talk and they said that a lot of times people also, see astral projection kind of similarly lead to things like remote viewing as well. But I think we're mostly going to be talking about detaching the consciousness in that way.
0: I mean, I think that's like the core definition, right? It's like a detachment of the conscious from your physical body. Like if that we want to have like a super general kind of overview definition, like that's probably the baseline that we can kind of stem from. We kind of talked about astral projection, what we think it is, but then what is the astral body. So this is something that I think we were able to find some more concrete evidence for versus just astral production, which is such a generalized term that it's difficult to get anything concrete. But Hanny, I see you have a lot of stuff here. So do you want to talk about what you found?
1: I'd like to see if you kind of agree or disagree with it, because I was trying to trace this idea of the astral body throughout history. So there seem to be three ish kind of distinct definitions so one is the astral body or your sort of body of light which is distinct from one's soul and this kind of originally came from plato who in one of his myths he rendered an account of the afterlife which re- involved a journey through seven planetary spheres and eventual reincarnation and so he taught that man was composed of mortal body immortal reason and an intermediate spirit so the neoplatonists during their philosophy which have neoplatonism heavily influencing occultism later on they disagreed whether The irrational soul was kind of immortal and celestial. And the celestial kind of goes back to the astral, as we mentioned. So Proclus, who is a Neoplatonist, he spoke of two subtle planes and two subtle bodies or carriers between the rational soul and the physical body. So one of these is an astral vehicle, which is like the immortal vehicle of the soul. And then later on, because Neoplatonism had such a huge effect on later occult philosophies, we then had Renaissance philosophers and occultists like Agrippa and Paracelsus. So Agrippa referred to the human soul gaining prophetic power when it transcends its normal bounds. So it's, it's it's actually the soul itself is the astral body. And Paracelsus spoke of three bodies. So you've got your elemental body, your illumined body, which is the spark of God, and then you have your sidereal body or your astral body. So it's basically identifying the astral body with the soul. What do you guys think of that? Do you think that's accurate to kind of the modern definition?
0: I feel like modern definitions would actually compare... One's astral body to your consciousness, not necessarily to a soul. And I think part of that comes from the like fact that we're kind of trying to distance ourselves from religion, right? Like this idea of the soul is something that's very common in like Christian mysticism and other Abrahamic kind of religions. And so I think when at least it's referenced in like new age circles, it's usually more about the consciousness, and especially because. During the time of like Israel Ricardi and some other really influential cult philosophers, there was this need to kind of rationalize occultism to protect it at the time. And so that's kind of where the psychological model came from. And so the astral body or that soul really became more about your consciousness in like a psych manner rather than an actual soul. I would tend to agree with that.
2: I think what's really complicated too about a lot of astral projection discourse is like people love to cite platonism or neoplatonism and renaissance thinkers and medieval mystics but a lot of that was a lot of theory and not so much technique which astral projection in the modern sense has a lot of technique but not a lot of theory behind it if that makes sense so it's more about the nature of the soul and how it connects if in terms of the neoplatonist it's more of how the soul connects to the greater soul of the universe as opposed to this very literal traveling. I think there definitely is a through line there and they eventually would go on to influence Theosophy, which would influence the New Age. But I don't think most people who do astral projection would really think about that theory in terms of what they're
0: doing.
1: Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are astral projecting to like reunite with divinity as um, a lot of people would have maybe have been done this in this mystic sense.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's actually a really good point to bring up that like astral projection now when you talk about it, there's like a technique, right? There's actual guides that were written to help you astral project. I feel like prior to its introduction to theosophy, it's more similar to the idea of journeying, except on like a theoretical level, kind of like almost in a theoretical realm, right? It's this idea that through, you know, ascending through the astral spheres, you will eventually become one with divinity and, you know, be enlightened and all of that.
1: So I think you uh, probably summed up the next definition, which is more making the consciousness distinct from one's soul. So this kind of um, comes to the idea that your astral body is your sort of manifestation of your emotions and your desires and those things kind of made real and into a i don't i don't want to say spirit necessarily but into some kind of body that can act independently of your physical body this is kind of also tied to the idea of an astral corpse when you die so some, yeah, interesting, right? So um, instead of a ghost, there's this idea that maybe you can leave behind an astral corpse and those basically go through life seeking out energy, which is sort of an interesting idea. I got that from um, the Black Arts, if anybody's interested in looking into that further. But the final definition, I think, is probably the most controversial one that we'll talk about today. And it is the idea that the astral body is a component of some greater sort of ether, and it's more of a metaph- metaphysical point of view. So originally this came from Eliphas Levi, who's a very, very famous philosopher and occultist around Victorian, early Victorian era. And he talked about the astral light, which he connected to the idea of magnetism. And we've talked about the idea of animal magnetism and Franz Mesmer before, who had these really dodgy... Experiments on magnetism and this idea of kind of transferring energy between individuals. They were later shown to be pretty rubbish. But he referred to this as the subtle magical agent permeating nature, which the magician and the mesmerist tapped into and it directed through accessions of will. So, if you like, the astral light in his definition is the something through which magic manifests. And the theosophists really loved this, particularly in the kind of pre electron age, because they tried to use this to rationalize the nature of matter and they kind of said okay this gives us a a physical basis for the astral body
0: i have heard this in the past and i can't remember where i read it this idea where like the astral light was kind of this like pure energy that we were like unable to sense on like the physical realm, but when it was combined with the physical realm in some way, they didn't talk about how it became matter. And like that's how we transitioned from this pure energetic realm into the physical realm is this from some kind of combination. I think they they quit the Big Bang and they were like, oh well the gas and like it caused me closure. And I was like, this is taking you a little far. But okay. And that was kind of what they were talking about when they were were saying astrolight. It was it was very odd. I've heard it used at least personally as like an origin for the Big Bang as like how the physical realm was created, which I think is insane. I don't think I don't think Levi ever meant it to like go that far, but I've heard it taken that far before. But let's talk about the history. Fel. I'm gonna turn the light to you. The astral light to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So to no one's
2: surprise, a lot of the history of our modern view of astral projection comes from fetishization of Eastern religious practices and spiritualist charlatans. There was once again an unsurprising amount of spiritualists involved in the discussion on astral projection. They were often, I think, the ones who took it more to the remote viewing kind of realm too. A lot of our discourse on astral projection comes from Theosophy and the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Specifically, it is their view of Hindu concepts. When I was reading this, it was really hard (laughs) to really understand because I'm looking, as a modern viewer, I'm looking at these Victorian writers writing about their viewpoint of Hindu concepts, which was just really... (sighs) Uh, Hindu and yogic concepts uh, so that was very difficult because I there was a lot of words that were being thrown around but everyone was defining them differently so I had to go take a walk just go I don't know look at anything else some folks did say that this type of astral projection was done by the Egyptians however this was later proven to be fraudulent archaeology by the 19th century occultist Florence Farr. We also see astral projection in a similar vein by Swedenborg, our pal Swedenborg. And we talked about this briefly in our Swedenborg episode too. However, Swedenborg, I will note, did advise against astral projection. Part of it is, is like a, there's a lot of confusion around technique. You don't get a lot of discussion around technique until the 19th and 20th centuries, which is why it's hard to decide what is actually astral Projection and what is not. In terms of the ancient Western world, there doesn't seem to be so much technique, like I said, about astral projection, but rather beliefs about what we now call astral bodies in the astral plane. However, we did see this Western viewpoint of Eastern practices. And one of those, probably one of the most notable, is the subtle bodies. The subtle bodies, which Alistair Crowley called body of light. This is a concept that is found in Tantric Buddhism, Taoist alchemy, yogic systems, and Hinduism. And it's Extremely complex and far too complex for me to address here. And unfortunately, their viewpoints of subtle bodies was then heavily bastardized and appropriated by the theosophists and misunderstood Kelsapris. So their original meaning and purpose was then changed. However, in early Hinduism, the five subtle bodies can be understood as physical, the mental, the energetic, and these three are all still physical in nature. Then you have the etheric body, which is transistory, which becomes the physical to non-physical. Then you have the bliss body, which is totally beyond physical. And these are concepts that are still seen today in Eastern practices, as well as you see these talked about in on New Age websites as well, although ultimately a lot less nuance and a lot less understanding. To address that kind of concept, which this idea, like I said, got ported over into theosophy as well, it's important to note that a lot of modern Hindu and yogic viewpoints on astral projection are not necessarily looking at the Western idea favorably. Here is what uh, the Indian yoga guru, Sadhguru, had to say. Uh, He is, although he has some issues with To have some interesting scientific takes. He also is still a, I would argue, like a master in his religious field. And he knows these concepts being raised in that culture and studying them. So here's what he had to say about how astral projection is done specifically in the United States. He said, astral projection, that's just hallucination. What is referred to as an astral body is leaving the physical, mental, energetic, and bliss body intact and allowing the etheric body to walk around. That requires a certain kind of mastery. You can't just psych yourself into it. It's not worth exploring because it takes such enormous effort to get mastery over those things. And in the end, what do you achieve? It is of no spiritual consequence. His viewpoint is wow things like astral projection from this perspective. Is possible the way that it is approached is not it? <laughs> he literally said that. He said that's not it. Hot take for the episode. That's not it. We can see these ideas that were ported over from Hinduism and into theosophy being bastardized and kind of simplified. So, well, I was simplified is not the right word, but being changed into something. That doesn't quite make sense in its original context.
1: I just found this really explicit quote from the theosophist Ani Basant about how they actually changed these ideas. So this is just one example, but basically there was this idea from Hindu philosophy where you have two lower bodies of man, which is the sthula sharira and the linga sharira. And one of them, like the former is associated with your kind of physical gross body and the other is associated with your kind of etheric body. Ani Basant argues that Although these these should have been use, uh, these terms have been used since time immemorial, it is better to have English names for the subdivision of the human constitution and thus remove from our elementary literature the stumbling block to beginners of a Sanskrit terminology. So they are a bit explicitly saying like, oh, we don't think many people are going to understand this. We'd better redefine it in a kind of clumsy English way. And I think that really epitomizes how theosophy reinterpreted things in quite a a negative and simplistic manner.
2: It's also important to note too that Sanskrit, as a language, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was that it's not—it's—it's it's more than a language. That Sanskrit itself, being pronounced and being written, is almost—I don't want to use the term magical.
0: We often talk about in, in magical circles how language is important, but like Sanskrit, mm-hmm. it's not just a language; it is literally the language of nature and the universe. And so, right. when you're speaking something in Sanskrit, there is like an innate power associated with the way things are said. And so when you remove it from that context, they lose kind of that innate power that they're provided with the initial language, I think. I don't know if that's where you're going with that, but... (laughs) Yes, you explained that much more eloquently. That's where I was trying to go. Gotcha. Yeah, so I do know that there's some some Kabbalistic concepts of the astral body of the perfected body. We see this again with Chaldean philosophy, even in the in the Hermetica, and then also in the Picatrix, this is mentioned, and this idea of traveling through the spheres to become more like more like God. And this was probably influenced a little bit by Neoplatonist philosophy and some, you know, Vedic systems. To my understanding, within this system, the Kabbalistic traditions through the planes of the Sephiroth, with the body, I think the goal is different, right? Like, it's an attempt to become one with the divine or to, like, become your best self. It's more theoretical in nature than it really is about, like, projecting and having some kind of like out-of-body experience. I won't speak on it too much even because I have never actually really looked into this as a ceremonial practitioner because I kind of think as to production just it's just not something I enjoy <laughs> thinking about. So I've never really dived into it but it is a thing in, in the Kabbalah. Um, so if you are interested in it I encourage you reading up on it but I am not personally want to have the knowledge to speak on it
2: i guess moving on like i keep talking about theosophy <laughs> and this also notes that so there's theosophy then there was various sects of neo-theosophy and then anthroposophy which is basically just continuing and, and splitting off from theosophy anthroposophy god what a title i believe was one that really sought scientific validation specifically, it was created by Austrian philosopher Rudolf Steiner. A lot of theosophy and all of these like 19th century thoughts were influenced by rosic Rosic-R- how do you freaking say that? Rosic? Rosicrucianism, yes, that's it. Rosicrucianism, which was an esoteric order in the 17th century. Anthroposophical medicine, which kind of influenced a lot of weird pseudo medicine now, pseudoscience. Both of those movements heavily influenced New Thought. So, New Thought was a movement that heavily, heavily influenced the New Age movement. And it was also very Christian in a lot of ways. Like but they were influenced by all sorts of things, ancient Greeks, Romans, Taoist, Vedic, Hindu, Buddhist, just like the influences of theosophy. They were also influenced by Mesmer. Everyone seemed to be influenced by Mesmer. But the new thought people were the ones that kind of like, your mind can heal you. That's very much the New Thought people. They did a lot of stuff on astral projection as well. They specifically developed some of the ideas of the astral body. And there was one member who he went by Rama Sharaka, but make no mistake, his name was William Walker Atkinson. (laughs) Yeah, he was very much a late Victorian, early Edwardian pioneer of the New Thought movement who was very waspy. So that was him. Rama Sharaka. He said that in order to have mastery over your astral body, you had to first have mastery over the physical body and its care and attention. And then this would affect your astral body. This also gets into a lot of early psychology as well, with the idea of mastering your passions and your desires and your lusts, and then mastering your intellect would be like the ego or no that's the super ego so once you mastered all of these levels you would be able to i kind of like alter your astral self your astral double and then your spiritual mind can be awakened and then i don't know you can like cure all your diseases or something (laughs) The, uh, that's the new thought specifically. just want
0: to mention, well,
1: on the topic of neo-theosophy, like you mentioned, there was quite a, there was a great deal of scientism, I would say, like an attempt to unify some of these spiritual ideas with physical ideas. And that probably came largely from Mesmer, but just because physics at that time was quite concerned with theology. So it was very much about the nature of matter and how we can really nail down kind of the nature of divinity or God within matter. Um, and a lot of this was kind of pre-electron era as well. So there were things, experiments, whether you can call them scientific experiments or not, I will leave down to you. But performed by Neo-Theosophists, particularly Annie Besant, trying to find some kind of etheric quality to matter. So there were things. Occult chemistry was one of, was one of them, and this was basically trying to split atoms down to uh, their final i mean obviously you can see where this is going if you know anything about physics and nuclear chemistry that it it wasn't going to work but it was basically using number correspondences in chemistry in a very obscure way so that's just a kind of idea of the um, scientific perspective that came along with neotheosophy well scientific if you (laughs) use a very loose sense of the term
0: wait number correspondences to like To help
1: split atoms? Did I understand that correctly? Okay, here, let me read you a quote. So, Besant and Ladvita put their clairvoyant skills to the task by analysing the chemical structure of hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. In their first published pilot study in 1895, they showed how the three ordinary physical states of matter, solid, liquid, and gas, were complemented by four different types of etheric states, named E1, 2, 3, and 4. And because this is significant in the number correspondences, those add up to seven. So they tried to split the molecules of the three elements into the constituents of the four etheric subplanes, and traced the increasingly complex chemical makeup down to the ultimate physical atom on the most subtle ether one plane. If you continue to split the atom from E1, Besant explained, one was left with a set of yet finer constituents of astral matter, now entirely beyond the ordinarily ponderable physical world. This is cosmological ether metaphysics discovered by the special cognitive powers of astral vision. And if you didn't understand that, that's okay, because I didn't either. But I just thought maybe I'd read the quote in its entirety for you to ponder and enjoy.
0: So they're taking atoms, which we can measure, splitting them into these four etheric whatever realms, right? And then somehow they're going to then measure and see if they can like bring them back to the physical atoms, even though they can't actually measure them because they're in an etheric realm. That makes...
1: I get the sense that one would astrally project into one's astral lab to astrally measure the uh, right. astral
0: Right, right, yeah, I have an astral lab.
1: Listen, Astro, when you're, uh,
2: when you enter the 5D, you'll be on our level.
0: I already, man, I already got the chip from the vaccine, like, no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, interesting. Let's move on. Before I lose my mind. Well,
2: I got bad news. Well, actually, maybe this will be not as mind boggling because at least Crowley made some sort of attempt to have theory and technique into something that makes sense. All of these influenced and would also somewhat be influenced by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and specifically Alistair Crowley's work on astral projection. Astral projection is very important in my understanding to Thelemic mysticism, at least from what? i was reading and crowley specifically talked about the body of light the body of light is also sometimes translated as the subtle bodies or the astral body but crowley specifically said the body of light so he saw that the body of light had to be developed and trained in a similar discipline to a way that one trains the brain and he believed that the essence of the technique of magic was the development of the body of light this was very much like microcosm macrocosm kind of deal of by working on your body of light you could then affect your own internal universe to affect the greater cosmos he specifically said to every magician possesses an astral universe peculiar to himself and he explained that the most important practices for developing this body of light were to constant use of rituals, fortification of the body of light by the assumption of God forms. I'm not quite sure what that means. Maybe invocation? Purification and consecration and exaltation of that body and the education of that body by experience. And it must learn to travel on every plane to break down each obstacle which may confront it.
0: I want to just interrupt you here for a second. So if you didn't hear what Fel just said, go back and listen to it, because this is going to come up again later. We talk about some theories surrounding astral travel, specifically when applied to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So go back and listen if you weren't listening.
2: Awesome. So uh, what's interesting, too, about Crowley, as opposed to a lot of the neo-theosophists and anthroposophists, God, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I don't care. (laughs) I don't like them, anyways. I don't care if we pronounce them correctly. (laughs) Is that Crowley was not super concerned with proving it. You know, a lot of like spiritualism, for example, thrived in a in a time when scientific theory was a bit not as unified as it is now. We had a lot of new techniques that they would kind of then exploit, and a lot of those new religious movements were heavily concerned with some sort of validity in a physical scientific psychological way crowley to my understanding was not he said the reality or objectivity of these symbols is not pertinent to the discussion the magician must not accept my account of the astral plane my Kabbalistic discoveries my instructions in magic they may be correct in the main for most men yet they cannot wholly be true for any save myself even as no two artists can make identical pictures of the same subject What one sees and hears is real in its way, whether it be itself or distorted by one's desires or created by one's personality. He viewed that even if it wasn't quote unquote real, that it was still worthy of some sort of mystic value, which I think is a stark difference from a lot of our previous discussions on modern western astral projection. One thing I will say about astral projection as it is seen throughout history and we can see this with journeying as well which I don't really like to lump into astral projection but I think one thing that people don't necessarily realize is that it is often considered very very difficult in the sense of either reaching some sort of trance-like state and altered state of consciousness and out-of-body experience, or the Pythagoreans, for example, viewed soul projection as a death-like experience. In a lot of, like, I think in Taoist alchemy, there's a lot of breathing techniques that would go into that and a lot of focuses of a meditation. And it's not easy. I mean, Sadaguru even said when discussing about the five bodies that it, it required a level of mastery. That I think it's. Then pushed aside as we move even further into the modern era in which this idea of just because it's not real doesn't mean it's not valuable becomes kind of everything is valid and I can just close my eyes and imagine this and it's astral projection when historically astral projection even in the Theosophist sense is pretty difficult and and requires some level of inducing an altered state or trance-like state.
1: I gotta say, I really like that Crowley definition that you brought up, because I think it represents that sort of through route that you mentioned at the beginning, where it's kind of the astral realm as a magical tool, combined with the astral realm as a kind of mystical goal. It's a kind of middle ground between those two definitions, as compared to the more literal interpretations that we're going to get into later.
2: Like I was saying that, like, I wish that every time I try to like look up astral projection, history of astral projection, I end up on like some dumb websites. And I just want to know the anthropological study so badly. I just want to know. So tracing it from Crowley to the modern age is actually really difficult. But I mean, if you listen to our New Age episode, we talk quite a bit about how a lot of these ideas from Theosophy and New Thought And Mesmer ended up into the New Age, so I think that's kind of a good way to make educated guesses on how astral projection got to be the way it is. But very much now, you still see an astral projection, at least in the New Age sphere, which I think is viewed almost slightly differently than in the witchcraft sphere. But the New Age sphere is still heavily, heavily influenced by fetishized and misunderstood Eastern philosophy. And it also gets roped into Atlantis, which we actually see with astral projection historically, unfortunately. (laughs) It also gets roped into things like starseeds and all of that fun baggage that the New Age community has with it. And astral projection, at least when I was in the New Age community, was really just understood to be like you would lie down on the floor and enter some sort of trance state, usually through visualization, sometimes through drumming and sounds. I was taught two ways when I was a part of the New Age community. The one way is more in line with the order of the golden dawn and medieval ideas of the astral which would be imagining a silver cord attached to your body and then that would then travel around and there was another version that was just kind of weird where you would just kind of do a visualization and imagine your body almost like sitting up from yourself and then you would walk around or project into different planes that's where you then see a lot of people talk about astral projecting into hell or astral projecting into mount olympus or astral projecting into other places now i will say that's not like totally foreign helen keller was who's a big swedenborgian actually talked a lot about astral projecting however if you know a lot about helen keller's life she obviously had a very different life than most of us lead (laughs) and the swedenborgian view of astral projection, I think, was a lot more in line with the historical viewpoints. And I would say I see astral projection in the witchcraft community being very much in line with that second way in the New Age community that I, that I see, where it's very much just a guided meditation, in a sense of closing your eyes, getting into a place of calming your body. And then imagining that detachment or going inward and then ending up in some sort of other place. And the witchcraft community, from my at least understanding, seems to veer away quite a bit from the Atlantis and aliens that the New Age community often has in its astral projection. But they are actually quite similar and have the same origins, I would say. So that's my understanding of astral projection as someone who has been... (laughs) been around the community for for quite a while i'm not sure if you guys have seen there are some other things we have in our outline about uh interesting concepts that i'm not sure how historical they are we don't have to get into them because i think they can be controversial (laughs) but those would be things like astral pregnancy again it's so hard to suss out what is astral projection what is journeying what is trance what is a vision quest they're all kind of terms that all dance around a similar idea I'm not sure what
0: your guys' thoughts are on modern astral projection. Yeah, I mean, I think it's heavily skewed now, the idea of astral projection. I hear a lot of – you made a good point when you said a lot of times it's, like, a guided meditation, right? I I hear that a lot. It's, like, yeah, I did a guided meditation to help me astral project. I'm, like, I think it's more complicated (laughs) than that, but, like, okay. I also hear things where people are, like, having intimate relations with spirits and, like, gods and the astral, and I'm just, like, oh, boy – And I think that gets to a level almost of, like, maladaptive daydreaming or even just forced – I mean, just, like, super vivid imagination and dreams where things will happen that you want to because you want them to happen. Like, your brain is capable of – amazing feats when you're like sleeping or you know not fully conscious so I don't think after production now is anything like what it is historically and I think that's a big problem because it's been taken so far out of context that people don't understand the initial meaning behind it which was really more theatrical in nature and a goal to kind of help you I guess, be more in line with the divine, right? But now it's just, like, it's an escape, it's become, like, an escapist thing, where it's, like, people don't like their current life, and the astral is better, if they're even getting to the astral, whatever. (laughs) And so they, like, go into this trans-like state, and then they decide to go to a place that they really enjoy. So we're gonna go to, like, Hogwarts, or we're gonna go to Narnia, or, you know, wherever, and live the life there because it's so much better than their current life. But that's really just escapism, and as of like the witchcraft community i don't think we should be supporting that and i kind of think we should be calling it out when we see it which is kind of a controversial take not everybody agrees with me there but it's dangerous like it's not helping anybody and that kind of defeats the whole point in my personal opinion but
2: there we go i'm done there you go hot takes by astra so i've talked about this a few times like i was a part of the new age community for a while and I specifically used to ask or project like all the time, quote unquote, like it was something that I did all the time for like years and years. I also struggle with maladaptive daydreaming. That's just kind of for those of you who don't really know what that is or, or what that feels like is it's very much, uh, it's, it's also related to like ADHD and OCD in ways of these almost intrusive daydreams. There would be hours, like I lost hours of my life <laughs> to maladaptive daydreaming. It's hard because it's not like these astral projections didn't mean anything to me, but rather I realized looking back that a lot of it was just that <laughs> I guess I didn't really have a very happy teenagehood and I can see looking back now that it, it was very much this me forcing or my maladaptive daydreaming taking on a a life of its own and it was exhausting which is why I'm always like amazed and kind of horrified at some of these things that I see where people are like I astral projected here every night and I'm like when I was doing astral projecting it would take me like two hours to get into a headspace in order to trance like that so it's just I have I have a lot of feelings about astral projection that I don't usually share publicly <laughs> because I feel like it's kind of a hot a hot issue as someone who used to astral project a lot I think that's important to note that like it is something that I, I used to do and used to practice and used to believe in I do think there is journeying and trancing I think do have their place in the community and altered states of consciousness. But I think oftentimes people ignore astral projection and its history. I mean, I really don't think you can get modern astral projection and like that very heavy modern view without kind of looking at the way that it was appropriated from Eastern cultures, specifically Hinduism. I think that's important to note, And I see a lot of people kind of ignore that. And it's not saying that like journeying or trancing doesn't exist in any other culture. It's not what I'm saying but I'm saying the specific theory around astral projection as it is in its modern form, which does come from the new age community does ultimately stem from its very colonial viewpoint of Hinduism.
0: I think it part of it too, is that i the historical version of astral projection requires significantly more work than the modern part does and we kind of see this within the modern witchcraft community people aren't willing to put in the time and effort it takes to actually like do these things correctly and so when you do look back and you kind of see the the amount of effort it takes to like become a master and actually do it correctly and do it safely People are like, oh no, 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 I like the current like I like this version better when it can be done in like an hour when you just lie down and, you know, do whatever it is you do to get to the astral realm. So I think part of it's true, just like the fact that people don't want to put in the work, which sounds terrible. But I think that there's some truth to that. Hany, what do you think? I think
1: that something that confuses me, and perhaps fell as somebody who used to Astral Project, you can maybe fill me in on, is what the concept of the astral realm is to somebody who is in kind of a modern witchcraft perspective because i know i can see people doing it making astral altars maybe if they can't do so in person for whatever reason they can't they're not in a safe living situation people do workings on the astral because they say it gets them closer to divinity which i can kind of understand but then you get people who say that you can meet up in the astral so it's not peculiar to you but rather it is one singular space. And that is where I kind of run into confusion, I think, where it's this kind of space which is just superimposed upon reality. Is that kind of consistent with the New Age view or is it just kind of a mishmash of different... Few points
2: it's interesting that you bring that up so angela puka who's a phd scholar on religious studies who specifically studied modern the term that she used was shamanism and a lot of this leads into kind of trance work journey and astral projection and she brings up the three worlds which is a common idea seen cross-culturally with like trance work there's the upper world middle world and lower world this is also seen, I think, cross culturally. And the upper world is the realm of the angelic or of deities. And the lower world is often the world of the quote unquote shadow, as well as earthly deities, chthonic deities, and the child self. And then the middle world is kind of like that, where it's this superimposition. The middle world is our world on a spiritual level. And she specifically brought up uh, someone discussing traveling to the middle world if they're having. Uh, a relationship issue they would travel to the middle world to encounter the spirit of the relationship and then understand and fix what was wrong through symbolism that's why i th- that we brought up talking about how i think that there's a lot of emphasis on technique interestingly enough in astral projection in the modern sense but there's not a lot of theory and everybody i meet has like a different viewpoint so in the ancient greek world soul projection one could soul project into hades one could soul project i don't think mount olympus that doesn't seem right but one could soul project into hyperborea for example and one could soul project to these various like mythological locations so that is clear in the astral realm you see in a lot of western occultism there is like the various realms of the world that are influenced by like the seven spheres and that sort of cosmology of the world but that all seems to get kind of thrown out the window <laughs> when it comes to modern astral projection. A lot of it, like I see people saying that they astral projected into the fae realm, which I know I can. <laughs> yeah, I hear people talking about astral projecting to the Fey world or astral projecting into heaven or hell, which doesn't really make any sense. I mean, Swedenborg did quote unquote astral project into heaven, but that seemed a lot more like a trance or a vision Than direct astral projection because I don't think he was trying to do it just sitting on his bed and a bunch of angels came and were like yo we're gonna show you heaven he was like okay
0: yeah Sweden I will say Swedenborg's description of what he went through is more like a vision after being in a trance like state I would say it's probably more that and less of an actual like astral projection based on his his own words which you can read on his websites (laughs)
2: Yeah, so that that is definitely different in that way. So it, it's hard to say our modern world is all kind of eclectic, but traditionally there are that viewpoints of the upper, middle, and lower world. I think that is that is seen I think too in some of Western occultists' ideas on astral projection, and that sometimes it is like a spiritual version of our world, but other times it's just who knows what. There's a very I might link it. I might link a very cursed Tumblr blog. In our- in our description, it's called like Astral Atlas or something. It's fast. I think it's defunct now, but all of its old posts are still up where people would have these astral realms that they went to that you could then like visit. And it's like descriptions
0: of what they are
2: and people talking about astral meetups.
1: So is
0: this like spiritual animal crossing. <laughs>
1: it would make recording a great deal simpler.
0: Let's all just astral project and we can record in person with each other. Okay. It is called astral atlas tumblr.com. I'm going to link it. Okay, but having kind of covered astral projection and like what it is and how it has kind of evolved throughout history, let's talk about the science behind it. Is there any scientific basis for astral projection? The answer is no, just straight up no. There is no scientific evidence that a person can separate their psych from their physical body and project into another realm. What does have scientific backing is the physiological processes that cause out-of-body experiences. Out-of-body experiences, or OBEs, occur in about 10% of the population, but not, like, super often. It's only, like, once or twice in a person's lifetime. And the majority of these are found in people with severe neurological conditions, like epileptic seizures, people who have severe migraines, or during moments when the body is shutting down, so when somebody's dying. There are some early clinical reports of -of out-of-body experiences being linked with neurological conditions, And this is actually what allowed us to kind of initially make the link between these OBEs with deficient visual, vestibular, and multisensory processing. So I'm going to explain that a little bit. Specifically, there was a study done in 2004, and it set out to describe some phenomenological, neurophysiological, and neuroimaging that correlates these out-of-body experiences and autoscopy, or AS, in six neurological patients. Now, before I continue, I want to define autoscopy. It's kind of the scientific version of, like, the spiritual astral projection. So out-of-body experiences typically have people kind of looking down on what's going on. So it's like they often describe it as, like, floating right above, like, an operating table and looking down and actually seeing things. Where autoscopy is kind of where you're just, like, seeing something in front of you play. It's, it's much more remote viewing-esque um, rather than like an out-of-body experience. All of the participants were interviewed and the investigators recorded detailed phenomenological information about the out-of-body experience or the autoscopy, including their visuospatial perspective from which the experience was seen, any visual characteristics of their own body. so could they see every part of their body, only partial visual auditory and tactile hallucinations, And then the presence of visual loss or body part illusions and more. For example, there were some people who said, you know, oh, I can only see and feel my arms, but I like have this knowing the rest of my body is there, even though they couldn't actually see it. Right. They also performed some long-term EEGs of a couple patients, some repetitive EEGs of some other patients, and then one with a less invasive measurement And then for neuroimaging, they did some 3D MRI studies for every patient. And essentially what they did is they compiled all of this information along some additional mapping that I won't get into. And if you're curious about the study, I can link it down below and you can look for yourself. They essentially suggested at the end of their conclusion that OBE and AS or autoscopy are associated with pathological sensations of position movements and perceived completeness of one's own body, including these vestibular sensations, so floating, flying, elevation, so on and so forth, and visual body part illusions, and that the brain damage or dysfunction of these patients was localized specifically to the temporoparietal junction, which has then actually been substantiated by other studies that you can find in a review linked below if you'd like to read that as well. Of interesting note they all found that the position that a patient's body was in prior to the experience actually influenced both out-of-body experiences and AS. And this was an observation that was noted by the patients themselves, not even necessarily by the investigators. But suggests to me, because it's very interesting when you talk about or like you look into astral production techniques, there's often like the instruction of lie down is somewhere where you won't be disturbed. I don't usually hear people like talk about doing it, sitting up. And so I wondered if maybe that has something to do with it. What was also interesting is that this happening kind of in the temporal parietal lobe, that's an area of the brain that we've seen has specific activation with like meditation and some other kind of spiritual or mystic practices that people have. And if you're curious about this, you can listen to our meditation and mindfulness episode. And so what do you think about the connection between the same region being involved kind of in both meditation and mindfulness, but then also astral production? Because if you'll recall in the meditation episode, we talked about how a lot of the models are done on people who have disease states essentially
1: oh that's interesting i didn't actually think about that they're both possibly done on the same kind of disorders like epilepsy migraines i will say we also mentioned the parietal lobes in the neurotheology episode and the very literal literature that comes up when you when you search web of science astral projection is um a review of some neuroimaging studies looking into the relevance of the parietal lobes in things like astral projection. So I think there's definitely something to do with mystical experience in general, which and potentially also the feeling of importance, which is very common to mystical experience. The feeling that something is ineffable, that's beyond your comprehension, that is maybe introduced to that interaction. But the positional stuff is interesting, because that sounds like it would be more to do with your hippocampus, because that tends to be to do with your uh, physical location. I'm not quite sure. It's interesting either way. I think one other thing I wanted to mention was there are disorders which are not necessarily brain disorders, but more like psychological disorders, which can lead to out-of-body experiences. So that might be dissociative symptoms or dissociative disorders. Dissociative symptoms are actually quite common. So people with anxiety very often have dissociative symptoms. They just tend to be more mild than somebody with like a severe dissociative disorder. And they can range from just feeling a bit spaced out to actually having a full-blown out-of-body experience. So it's not necessarily always a disordered brain thing. I would really be interested in seeing whether meditation actually affects the prevalence of these experiences or not, or whether it's just more to do with your own individual experiences, biology and such.
0: It's interesting because in our, the episode we talked about, like a lot about neurophysiology, I think we also mentioned that a lot of more like, psychological disorders that you were mentioning, Hanny, had to do with like the frontoparietal lobe, whereas it seems like a lot of this has to do with the temporal, and I wonder if there's a connection, like where, that, like where that shift happens from going from one to the other. That'd be an interesting thing to investigate, I think. I haven't come across any studies with it, but I might look into that after the episode and see if I can't find something. But yeah, so a lot of the science really focuses more around out-of-body experiences. There's not anything with astral production. And sure, you could argue that scientists don't care about it, right? Because it's probably not something we can confirm. But at the same time, I just think it speaks to kind of the like heavily debated authenticity of the idea. But there are some theories behind astral production and maybe how it works. There is the theory of interpretive drift, and this was derived from... Tanya Lerman's study, um, which is called The Persuasions of the Witch's Craft, it was written in 1989, attempts to explain how humans are capable of experiencing and understanding the world in radically different ways. So Lerman followed educated, middle-class people who joined magical groups and then studied how the participants, including herself, acquired new skills that turned them into accomplished magicians. So she describes this, this kind of overall process of going from an initiate to a magician as an interpretive drift, then she defines it as the slow shift in someone's manner of interpreting events, making sense of experiences and responding to the world. Basically what she's saying is that it's really merely just a trained shift in interpretation that then leads to a rebuilding of the practitioner's experiential world. So you pay more attention to certain things than you did before. This kind of got me thinking, like, isn't this the whole point of meditation, right? We train our minds to engage and focus on specific aspects or more than we would in a normal day when we might actually ignore them because they don't have an impact on our survival. I thought that was kind of interesting. And if you're curious about this, she wrote another article with a couple other people called The Absorption Hypothesis, which is actually really fascinating. I read a bit of it earlier today when I was researching. But another model called Predictive Coding, and this was actually inspired by Lerman's work and something called The Spiritual Disciplines Project, Look it up if you're curious it's a little bit too much for me to go into here but essentially predictive coding holds that the content of our experience is really just the result of internally generated models rather than passive recordings of what is quote unquote out there ironically i realize that this is very much how i think a lot of these things work and i think i expressed that in a different episode not understanding that it actually had a name but these models are predictions so essentially your brain's best attempt at guessing what your current situation is and then Kind of filling in the pieces to help it make sense. So at its basis, this is a computing principle using probabilities that are based around what has happened in the past in order to make guesses or models of what you are experiencing now without kind of all of the information that would normally be provided to you. So I guess my question to both of you is that do you think predictive coding could possibly be an explanation for out-of-body experiences or like actual projection experiences.
1: I would say my, if I'm understanding this correctly, it is not congruent with how I have experienced out-of-body experiences, because this implies that it's kind of tends to be based on models, which are based on your past experience. And all of my out-of-body experiences have been quite unexpected and novel. So unless you could argue that there's kind of something from the subconscious directing that, I guess I'm kind of struggling to see where the existing models come in from there. In fact, it's often been quite transformative experiences, and I've come out of it feeling quite different to before. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think that this predictive coding thing makes sense in a lot of frameworks, but I'm struggling to apply it to my own experiences. That being said, I haven't ever formally astral projected.
2: So is the idea of this that like general theory of dreams, like you know, the idea that like everyone you see in the dreams is is someone that you have seen before, whether in passing, is that kind of like the same idea where it's like your brain is only pulling on what it knows?
0: Yeah, right. So that's it's it's a similar idea to that. I think the reason why I think it might in some ways kind of help explain like OBEs or astral production experiences is that, because especially if we think about it in like modern terms, right, and people are talking about their astral projection experiences, this is kind of what I was thinking of. They'll be like, oh yeah, I astral projected to like, let's use Hogwarts <laughs> as the example. The, the imagery of Hogwarts, that, that experience is going to be based off of something, right? Like it didn't just come from nothing. And so it's this idea that you have this predictive coding that's then presented this framework for your brain to then go in and kind of fill things in and give you this experience. But it's not actually like a spiritual experience. It's really just your brain kind of piecing together something based on like what you want. I don't know if it would explain maybe mm-hmm. true, like very sudden experiences. But even then, I think it might. Like if you, out of body experience, where like somebody sees himself some on the operating table, right? You're looking down, you know allegedly, that you're in an operating room and that a surgery is being performed, maybe not always, but you would kind of have like these hints about what's going on that would allow your brain to kind of then predict based on what you know from watching a TV show about surgeries or having an experience like it beforehand to kind of fill in what might be happening. Now, I don't necessarily know that that explains the kind of eerie accuracy that some people then come back and retell what happened, but I thought it was maybe an interesting connection
2: possibly i'm not sure if it explains because i think like auto. i view out-of-body experiences as being very sudden they're often very startling but i think it can explain astral projection to some degree so like i've experienced some trance work hmm, and it's hard to explain i think brains are very very good at filling in things so like for example if I'm in a forest I've definitely been in places where it's like I've never been in this forest before but I think brains are very good at like generating using what it knows about color and trees images I mean I feel like that's just kind of how the brain processes things but I don't think that's necessarily you know explains away trancing or journeying but I think it's just kind of like the way the brain's way of understanding things you know
0: yeah and like remember that these are first of all they're theories and also this is based on a computational algorithm which means that translation to like an organism a biological organism is going to be if they're not substantially similar right so we're making we're kind of drawing a lot of connections but it's not going to be perfect so yes i agree with you but i thought it was interesting the idea of kind of predictive coding and how it might fit with astral production or some of those experiences. So there is a person named I don't, I'm totally gonna pronounce wrong, Eagle Asperm <laughs> And they essentially wrote a dissertation titled Explaining the Esoteric Imagination Towards a Theory of Cataphatic Practice. And basically what they did here is they applied this predictive model to astral travel in the context of a Golden Dawn style ritual. Then they kind of break down the requirements of predictive coding and an instruction for inducing astral visions written for initiates. Here are the instructions. And this instruction for astral visions was written by Elaine Simpson and Florence Farr in 1892. I'm going to read it straight from this instruction. Secure for an hour or longer, absolute freedom from interruption. Essentially, reduce error signals or signals that would suggest to you that you're not like fully somewhere else then alone or with one or two adepti enter the vault or a private chamber a specific environment remain in silence and contemplation for several minutes rise and perform the kabbalistic cross and prayer then proceed to contemplation of some object say a tarot trump either by placing it before you and gazing at it until you seem to see into it or by placing it against your forehead or elsewhere and then keeping the eyes closed In this case, you should have given previous study to the card as to its symbolism, coloring, analogies, etc. In either case, you should then deeply sink into the abstract ideal of the card, being in entire indifference to your surroundings. If the mind wanders to anything disconnected with the card, no beginner will succeed in seeing anything spiritually. Consider all the symbolism of the tarot card. Then all that is implied by its letters, numbers, and situation and paths connected therewith, and the vision may pass over you. When I was looking at this, there were a couple of things that stood out to me, and that the author of this dissertation kind of brought predictive coding into it, So the environment must be controlled to minimize random noise that might induce error signals or suggest to you that what you're experiencing might actually be something that has been subconsciously coded. There's a specific location. So in this particular case, it's happening in a specific temple. So there's coding with symbols that the initiates would recognize unconsciously after being in that building for extended periods of time. This focus on material anchors, in this case, it was the tarot trumps, which are physical representations of this internalized imagery. And then these ritual motions, again, are patterns. So it creates kind of another uh, sort of coding. And then there's a generation of an afterimage. So an afterimage is essentially just a delayed sensory signal from the optic nerve. And that's caused by fatiguing the photoreceptor cells in the retina when you stare at an object for too long. Essentially, you think of it as like burning an image in your brain. I was thinking about it from this predictive coding perspective that the author of this this dissertation suggests. There seems to be kind of three distinct steps that lead to an establishment of a subconscious response from predictive coding that could then lead to experiences like astral visions. First, you have the internalization of these esoteric concepts, the representations and the schemes. So, that's things like the study of the initiatives beforehand, being in the specific space, being in the framework and the mindset, the practice of the meditative techniques. So, focus on the attention, the bodily posture, the concentration of mental imagery. And then also the development, which then leads right all of this kind of predictive coding, which is in the first two steps, leads to this development of new self-representation and the creation of new models at which you actually like view the world. Then how that could influence how you see things in like an astral vision. It was an interesting way of putting it, and I will link this dissertation below for anybody who's interested in reading it. I do recommend it. It's it's quite interesting. I don't know that it necessarily explains astral visions because I think the idea of predictive coding again is algorithmic kind of explanation for something that I think is more complicated because it's the brain and the brain's you know weird and we don't know how it works but the idea was interesting and I liked how they kind of used it in a golden dawn ritualistic framework to maybe try and explain how this kind of subconscious coding can maybe influence how you actually see these things when you go into like a ritualistic trance. That was a lot. Please, when you're listening to this, if you want to go back, I would recommend actually going back, pulling up the papers and looking at because there are some really good diagrams. Read the dissertation. It's not that long. It's like 27 pages. And it is interesting to see the author's perspective.
2: Well, I already talked quite a bit about my experiences in astral projection and my own viewpoints kind of um, retroactively on my astral projection. I view most of it as either maladaptive daydreaming or Basically just visualization and trance states, not saying that my experiences were invalid, but I don't think I was actually, I no longer believed that I was like actually going anywhere. Just kind of intense visualizations and meditations. Something I did for years and definitely took up a lot of energy. So I don't know what your guys is, if you guys have any experiences with out-of-body experiences or astral projection or journeying or anything like that.
1: Definitely not astral projection explicitly, but certainly out of body experiences and some journeying. It's not uncommon for me to have out of body experiences when I'm meditating. And it's weird because Astro is like, oh, this only happens kind of once or twice. But actually, I have them quite often when I'm just sitting and meditating. It's not necessarily always accompanied by a visual sensation, but definitely a physical sensation of being lifted out of my body above my body. And I don't know if that's a positional thing or whether it's more spiritual it's something that i am always kind of startles me and i have to work quite hard to not let it take me out of the meditative meditative experience the other would be use of entheogens which have to out of body experience where i've been able to see myself from above but i do, again i don't think that that would necessarily count as astral projection because i think that's just a separate experience it's not entering any kind of different realm or plane i think it's i think it's definitely an interesting concept and i think there are lots more things to be said about how we can dissect the mind away from and and dissect consciousness away from the brain and whether we can do that with science i'm not convinced that we necessarily can at this stage kind of tickles me to to think about but there are lots of versions of astral projection like the more modern version where you have a singular plane where you kind of all interact that i don't think i really particularly vibe with or ever will
0: it's interesting because I think we don't have scientific data really supporting astral production because it's not possible for us to measure something like the conscience, even if you because like scientifically, right, we would say that one's conscience is really just a bunch of chemicals doing their thing in the brain and like making people be human and your actions are, you know, even though we say you have free will, everything you do is maybe guided by some chemical interference that suggests you do something like a fight or flight response, right? Scientifically, I think that's how people think about consciousness. And so when it comes to like being able to measure how consciousness like leaves your body, I don't actually think we will ever probably scientifically study that one because it won't be funded. <laughs> Two because I don't think it's actually scientifically possible to do so to measure something that isn't actually like measurable as a single thing rather than like a collection of many different chemicals. And so for that reason, I don't think we're ever gonna get scientific evidence for it. Now does that mean that it doesn't have its place in mysticism and the occult not necessarily. I personally prefer the historical view than the theurgic view of astral production and kind of the purpose in that regard. I don't think that the modern understanding is helpful, really. I think it's kind of, it just provides like an excuse for escapism, which I don't think is healthy either. I think there's a lot of theories, but this is one of those things that I don't know if we ever will be able to explain it. And I also don't know that it matters because we all have experiences that aren't explainable, but that doesn't like make them invalid. And so that's kind of where I stand with it. Like, I don't personally aspire to it, but I'm also not going to discredit somebody else's experience just because it has no scientific backing, because I don't actually think it can be scientifically studied, at least at the moment.
2: I guess my final thoughts are I'm way more confused about astral projection than I was before I started this, and I was confused before. Feel free in our Discord, which we will link. I don't think we linked it last time. We'll link it this time. to tell us your opinions on astral projection and if you like i personally prefer other terms i prefer saying journeying or trancing because i feel like they're more descriptive than astral projection but yeah tell us your own thoughts on astral projection go back and forth like every day on how i feel about it yeah i'm not saying it's not valid tm but um i don't know i in my own personal experience I feel like a lot of it is very internal and that you're not actually going any. Henny, what are your final thoughts?
1: I think it's really interesting. I think that I entered this episode thinking that there was going to be more bullshit than there was. (laughs) And I was sort of interested to see that there was more of a historical perspective for astral realms, astral protection, journeying than perhaps is necessarily represented in sort of modern occult media. So that was a pleasant surprise. I do think, like Astra said, it's not something that we're necessarily going to be able to prove scientifically or not. And I don't really see the point in doing so. That being said, I would really love to hear other people's experiences and their thoughts on how this might work, because I think that you probably have more interesting opinions than me. (laughs) So, yeah, thanks.
0: Yeah. And if you are a practitioner who engages kind of with like Eastern philosophies, please do let us know in the Discord what your take is on this, because we're all coming from like a Western esoteric perspective for the most part. So we aren't as familiar with those philosophies as maybe you are. So do let us know if there's something that we miss in the episode. And we can always kind of update the description if we find anything that we said that was like terribly <laughs> incorrect. But thank you for listening. This was kind of a long one. I know it got a little complicated in the scientific and like theoretical aspect. If you have enjoyed joined our Discord, please do. We have lots of fun discussions about episodes and also just like random occult questions. But if you're not following us on Instagram, you can do that too. It's just test tubes and cauldrons. We post hints about upcoming episodes and try and kind of figure it out beforehand. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye everyone you.